Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim GK, sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning and welcome to another edition of The Core Business Show. I'm Jacquet, your host. It's a pleasure having you today. Today we're going to address. Uh, I'm going to pull one of our company uh, uh, webinars into play today for the show. It's overcoming sales objections. Um, again, overcoming sales objections. We're going to take a break real quick from, uh, uh, from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with the show and, and be an hour-long episode. Thank you for listening to the Core Business Show. We'll be in a moment. You're listening to The Core Business Show, sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Apple Capital Group in Jacksonville, Florida, is a commercial lender that specializes in asset-based loans, equipment leasing and financing, invoice financing, commercial real estate loans, and asset-based financing in the U.S. and Canada. Apple Capital Group is a direct lender that lends on their private equity investment portfolio. 90% of most loans are decided within two hours and vendor funding within 24 hours after documents are completed with a one-page application. No slow no's, just a quick decision and a fast yes. To get more information about lending from Apple Capital Group, call 866-611-7457. That's 866-611-7457 to speak with one of our loan specialists or visit us right now at applecapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to the core. Once again, here's Tim Jacquet. Well, welcome back again. We're going to go ahead and play an episode uh, we use for our own in-house sales training for overcoming overcoming objections. So again, here is a webinar that we've we've done um, uh, not too long ago. I don't have the exact date. Give you a chance to listen while I get information on here. I think it'll probably help you with yourselves. Good evening, my name is Chanel and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Overcoming Objections conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Thank you. Mr. Owen, you may begin your conference. Thank you very much, and uh, good evening, everybody. Thank you for being part of our our series of national conference calls. This is our second one, the spring-summer series. This is going to be recorded, just like the last one was. Hopefully, we'll have a CD in a couple weeks, and uh, this proves to be very beneficial for everybody. Um, Tonight, I have Jordan Jacobson, Bob Redco, Mike Ali, Tom Woodford, and Mark Eisman on the line with us. Um, They're all sales CNXs here at headquarters. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the objections you guys have sent in to us. We're going to talk about how they overcome them. And when we get done going through a handful of these ones, um, we're going to have a little question and answer session at the end. We're going to let you bring up a few more that we might not have addressed. Now, I have a list of 42 objections that was sent to me from whether it was IPA, SAMS, 
IBAU major account executives, inside sales reps, and BCs. It's funny how everybody had typically the same ones. Yes, there's 42 here, but a lot of them came from all the different divisions. So the first one I'm going to start with here, um, after I get done listing it off, any one of the CNEXs on the line can, can jump in and talk about what they do, how they use it. And I hope everybody on the call can, can hear a couple different viewpoints on, on how they overcome these objections, and maybe they can help, help you out as well. The first one is the economy here is the worst in the country. The industry that I am in is in, deep, is in a deep depression. My sales have dropped almost 50%. There's nothing you can do about it. Okay. Hey, hey, John, it's Mike Alec. Can I share something here? Yes, Mike. I was just driving home, and this is so fresh, it's, uh, it was on the radio. I was listening to uh, something here, and I like to use stories, Mr. You know, I always say, Mr. Client, uh, you know, Liberty Bank uh, down in Louisiana and New Orleans got washed out uh, a few years ago. And uh, actually, all of their branches, I mean, it was pretty much a, a devastation. And uh, the president of that bank, what they did is they actually, just now, just to give you the result, the end of it is that they produced a $3 million profit out of a $325 million volume that they produced. And this was a bank that was washed out. Okay, now this is worse than even the economy. This guy is pretty much uh, down to nothing. So I always say, Mr. Client, I agree that the economy is, is pretty poor right now. And you know what? It's, it's a matter of how much control you have uh, in which, which, which are around you. So there's things you cannot control. But guess what? There's companies out there that are making money. And I use an analogy. For example, uh, you know, you take a look at Southwest Airlines, you take a look at uh, United Airlines or some of the other ones that are hurting. What may, what's the difference? And it's all about how they manage their people, how they manage for profit. So I may throw in an, a, you know, a solution to that, Mr. Client. What are they doing that, you know, that United Airlines is not doing that's producing a better profit for Southwest? So. Give uh, stories or analogies of other success stories while in, in the midst of times that were down in the dumper, yet still produce great results. So, Mr. Clint, what are you doing that's different, that's going to overcome? Because there's things you cannot control. But guess what? Let's focus on what you can control. So, anybody hey. else? Well, this is uh, Redco. Uh, some of you have probably heard this before. I would challenge the client and say, well, Mr. Clint, let me ask you a question. There's typically one of three strategies you can use. And most small to medium-sized businesses use either number one or number two. The first is if you see the economy starting to go down, you might start to contract because you're waiting for your telephone to ring. And at that time, you're thinking about whether or not you can withstand the bleeding, and when the economy improves, you're going to do better. And they kind of nod their head. Or, or you can stay the course and hope you can stay the course and weather it and then the bleeding is not so bad, and then when the economy improves, you're going to start to expand again. But what does Hewlett-Packard and Dell do, or the bigger companies, when there starts to be a downturn? They start to invest more energy and money and personnel into sales and marketing, and the reason is they believe the economy will increase eventually. So now is the time to strike and try to take more of the market share and be more competitive so when the economy improves, they'll be bigger, better, and stronger coming out the other end. So, Mr. Klein, what strategy have you used? And they'll say, well, I tried one, or I tried number two. Have you ever tried number three? No. Why? I don't know how. Hmm. If you knew how, would you? Maybe. Well, you know what? 
I don't know if we can help you or not. Let's at least look at all the different options and bring to the table some things that maybe you're not considering so you can be better than your competitors. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, this is Mark John. Yeah, Mark. Mr. Business Owner, let me ask you something. In every downturn in every economy, there are winners and losers, correct? Some people actually gain more market share. Why is that? Okay? Because sometimes the fact is business owners find themselves when they're in a very, very strong market, they don't have to market themselves. They use basically the same people over and over again. Let me ask you, if you're in Michigan right now, sir, how does somebody in Florida even know you exist? How does he actually know what services you might provide that might be a benefit for his company? See, you find yourself right now in probably one of the most unique situations because now you're going to have to market yourself for the first time. You're going to have to let people know what you do. Are you using the web? Are you using salesmen? What have you done? Because ultimately, people here in this economy are going to gain share. Those people are the ones that are going to basically take the bull by the horns and actually move their company forward, knowing the fact is that the majority of companies in this particular area are basically going to put their heads in the sand. Okay? Now, there are a lot of things that can be done and to do that. This is one of the reasons why you need to bring in one of our individuals to go over a lot of the different factors of how that can be done. It's tough. Okay, the next question, actually there's going to be three questions here. So we're going to have to address each one, uh, CNEXs. Here we go. I have had other consultants in before and have had bad experiences. IPA already did a project with me and I spent a lot of money with your company and I really didn't get anything out of it. And IPA already did a project for me several years ago. You guys did a good job, but I just don't need anything right now. Jordan, you want to get us started on that? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I think this one's very important because in this day and age, we're no longer a household name, ever, or we are a household name. A lot of people know us. A lot of people know George May. There's a lot of other companies out there that do what we do, or quote, do what we do. I think what reps try to do when they initially walk in the door is get on the defensive right away with the client and make statements like, ah, oh, that wasn't us. That couldn't be us. Um, I would simply take a calm, collective manner when you walk in the door, and when the client does bring up that he had a bad experience with another company, just make a statement and say, well, that's why I'm here. Let's talk about that. Why did you bring in this other company? What were you hoping to gain from this other company? What didn't you get from this other company? What did you want that wasn't delivered? Ask the client if it was our company. I think a good way to segue to the phone at that point is to call your CNEX to find out if, in fact, it was us. We can look up the client on our uh, database to determine what the project was. We can tell you what the hours quoted were and actually how many hours <clears throat> the client uh, went with the project because a lot of our clients will cut the project short. It's, we all use the, uh, the prescription analogy. When a doctor prescribes you five days of medication, he tells you to take it five straight days. Do not skip a dose. Don't double up if you miss a day. You ask the client, why did he stop the project? What happened? These clients are expecting immediate results. They're all expecting immediate fix. When they spent 30 years screwing this thing up, they expect us to give them the magic pill. It takes a certain commitment from our client. Um, I'm taking one step backwards here and not and going to address it where how you can do a preemptive strike against the client when you're talking about the next step. When you're in with the client and you're talking about what comes after the analysis, 
state to the client that we're very selective with the clients that we work with. We work with them under two criteria. The first one is the three-to-one assurance. Do not say three-to-one guarantee. Here's why. We cannot guarantee that that client, after we leave, is going to continue with what the consultants put in place. That's why it's a three-to-one assurance. The second critical variable of working with the client on a go-ahead is their commitment. Now, if the client's not committed to the project, it's going to simply be a waste of money by that client, and we're going to get the finger pointed back at us, and they're going to waste money. So I think if you handle that ahead of time when you're talking about the next step, you're not going to encounter clients that have, quote, bad experiences. You find out what their commitment is towards moving forward and talk about more so of what the client wants because that's the key to all of this. Let's find out what the client wants to eliminate a lot of complaints in the long run. If we're selling the client, we're setting us up for complaints. And always, always do not get on the defensive when you walk in the door when the client brings up the fact that he used another company and didn't get what he was expecting. Ask them what he was expecting and what he really wanted out of the process that he didn't get. It's always reverting back to the pain. What's currently going on in the client situation, the current state of the business, so you can get them on a neutral playing field and get them thinking. That way you can have a logical and intelligent conversation with that business owner. Okay. Bob Redco. Okay. Uh, very quickly, uh, relative to the, for the uh, sub-point A, about a, a different consulting company and a bad experience, and Mike Ali has talked about this a lot. I've heard him in the office. And I, I've said it too. You know, if you have a heart condition and you have a problem and you go to a doctor who's a heart surgeon, but you didn't like that heart surgeon for whatever reason, for whatever reason, you don't stop going or finding a heart surgeon that's going to be beneficial. And you know what, Mr. Client? I have no idea who you met with, and quite frankly, I don't care. All I know is we've been around since 1991. We're the biggest and the largest in North America doing what we do, and we do it in such a way to make our clients better. And I'm egotistical, and I believe we can bring value and benefit to the table, but you're going to judge us. Number two, they've used this in the past, and the client says, no, they did not receive any benefit. And this is an area which I deal with on every single day. <clears throat> on those types of, when we run a project, and the client says, oh, I didn't get any benefit or value, what they're basically telling you is at this point in time, whether the project was a year ago or five years ago, that is now the taste they have left in their mouth, either because of the spouses, partners. It doesn't matter. That is now where they are. For you to deal with that and get it back to neutral, and this is how I do it on the phone, I'll say, oh, really, no value or benefit. How long were we there? What did you expect, like Jordan said? Now, you know what? I'm sure there were some things that worked, some things that may not have worked, and I don't know what did not work, and some things may not have worked because your employees didn't follow through, or maybe we dropped the ball. I don't know. But it doesn't matter. It's both, both are inexcusable. So the first question is, is, how do we figure out what actually worked and what didn't work and what needs to be done to get you back on track? But let me ask you something, Mr. Client. At the end of each day, did the consultant sit down with you and review what they did, asked you to, asked you to approve and sign off what they did, and then you authorize them to continue the next day? client will hesitate, and then the client will say yes. Now, the reason that part is so important is because now you're taking the client back to that process, 
back to that experience, and now you are very subtly holding him accountable for letting us to run as, as many hours as we ran. Then he starts to say, you know, yeah, you're right. And you know what? My office manager who was here is no longer here. And what happens is the doors start to open and they become more neutral, which then allows you to get it to the desk to have somebody come back in and review. And this is what I, how I address it. Our analysts who will come in now will have a dual focus. A, look at what we did in the past, find out from you what you liked, what you didn't like, what worked, what didn't work, and then the analyst will figure that out. And then secondly, the second focus will be the here and now. What frustrations do you have? What challenges do you have? And when you put it in that perspective, the client really opens up very well. Now, the third or the sub-point C where they say, you were in here, you did a great job, things are going well, we don't need you to come in. Okay, that's fine, it's your business, but let me ask you a question. You think everything's going according to plan, right? Yes. Okay, so what does that mean? If something's not, you're going to be surprised and you're not going to be able to deal with it or you're going to be in a panic mode. Every year you probably go get a physical. If the doctor tells you everything's fine and dandy, you feel good, don't you? Yes. And if the doctor says, oh, I have found something you weren't aware of, this is it, should we address it? That's also valuable and beneficial, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. Exactly. So that's basically what we want to do now at this point. Because you are a valuable existing client, we want to maintain our relationship, and we'd like somebody to come back to look at your business and make sure that nothing has to be tweaked, or if it does, that you're aware of it. And who knows? Maybe you and your management team can tweak it. Back to you, Mr. Owen. Thank you, Bob. All right, this next one. Um, the only problem I have in my business is the cost of fuel and insurance. And if you can fix that for me, then you're a miracle worker. Tom Woodford? Yes. Um, Mr. Client, it's understandable that you would say that because those are areas that really cannot truly be controlled in your business in terms of being you have to consume the fuel. You need to use the fuel. You need to use the cost of insurance and things. What you have to do now is you have to focus in and find the areas in which you can control in your business that you can have a positive effect on. So certainly what you want to do is have an analyst come in and conduct the analysis and take a look at the different areas that you're not seeing that you can control better and then find out how much that's worth to you. Okay. Very good. Mike Ali? Yeah, um, good question. Mr. Clint, I always – one thing, can I say something about objections, about any objections? Uh, I always welcome them, and uh, one of the things I don't say, well, I always say in, in a point matter like, Mr. Clint, I'm glad you brought that out, that the cost of fuel is very high. Boy, and I start sympathetic, empathizing with you. Boy, isn't that tough on your profitability? Isn't that tough on the overall cash flow of your business? Let me ask you a question. What do you think that problem is costing you? If the price of fuel, what it was used to be, let's say back uh, three years ago, when it was only $1.50 or whatever it was, four or five years ago, what do you think your profits would be today? And, and I actually started doing some problem costing with a client. And when I do some problem costing, let me ask you this. So let's just say the price of fuel on a two-minute-hour company, let's just say it's affecting you by 1%, a measly 1%. Well, I'll let me go further than that. Even if it's only costing you, let's say, even half a percent. Can you write that figure on the table, on, on the pad here? 
I get the client involved in starting to doing the problem costing because whenever I get an, a, a problem in his business, he tells me, I jump out and say, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's put some numbers behind this thing. So he puts down $10,000. And remember, I always emphasize the, 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 the pain of the, the client is facing. $10,000, Mr. Client, that's costing, you're saying to me, too much. Now, those are not words that I put in your mouth, right? This is what you agree to, correct? And I make him write it on the pad of paper. Then I say, okay, Mr. Client, the cost of insurance you're telling me is too high. Well, let me ask you a question. How much too high do you think it is? If the client can't come to a realization that he has a true number, then how are we going to fix the problem we don't even know what it's costing him? The cost of the problem builds urgency. The cost of a problem builds emotion. And when I put that on his table, I say, well, just these two issues, we've come to realize that it's costing you $20,000. It seems to me if you had that $20,000 back into your business, okay, what would you use it for? Now I create the want because now I got the want out of the client because if he had that $20,000 sitting in his business, in his bank account, he would use it for something. Now when he has a reason for the why, I can actually break down that problem on a daily basis. And this is how you get the client to pull the job. And this is what I really like to do is getting the client to do it now rather than later. Mr. Client, it seems to me that the price of fuel is not going down. Just today, by the way, it was 114 a barrel. Oh, my God. And one of the things we don't do enough is when the client gives you an objection, you've got to slap your hand on the table, get so excited, stand on your head or do something and say, Mr. Client, oh, my gosh, that's costing a lot of money. Mr. Client, if I was a partner with you, I would definitely take some action on this right away. Don't you agree? And when you say, don't you agree, and you nod your head up and down, guess what you're doing? You're conditioning the client to think like you. And when the client thinks like you, you have a sale. So now you've got some figures on the table. Mr. Client, now we've got some figures on the table. Now let me ask you this. I can't go to you know OPEC right now and say, hey, you guys got to drop this down to you know 80 bucks a gallon because my client is suffering. They're not going to do that. So instead, what I do is, I say, Mr. Client, we've got to figure out another way, and which Tom was hinting on, is that to figure out another way to make this look like as if you're actually paying 80 bucks a gallon. I mean, excuse me, 80 bucks, $80 a barrel, rather, which would be, you know, somewhere closer to where reasonable $2 a gallon, which we could live with. So, Mr. how do we get this price of fuel to $2 a gallon? So I figuratively replace the problem. You get it, guys? I replace the problem. Instead of making it think like, you know, it's going to be 325 or 350 a gallon like it is right now, I make him think, imagine if you can run your business and you're paying the price of fuel at only $1.90 a gallon. How do you do that, Mr. Klein? Well, I'll tell you what. We know, and I learned this from Walter Hines one day. He said this, Mr. Klein, we know 250 other areas where your profitability can improve. Can you list me on that piece of paper Let's just say 10%. Can you list me 25 areas where your profit could improve? Let's just do a little little quiz. I guarantee he's not going to go past 10. And guess what? Now, you're, you're sensei and he's grasshopper. You know more about the client than the client knows about his business side of his business. That's when you build credibility. That's when you can ask the client by looking him in the eye and say, Mr. Client, what time are you here tomorrow morning? And close, guys. If you make sense, if what you just said, if I was what just said made sense, Look the client in the, in the eyes and close and ask him for the order. You know, don't just say, well, let me just call the office if a CNS can help you. If you have the ability to close the sale, go for it. That's how you become good is you try the hard, hard questions. And when they ask you a question like that, you just look at them and smile like you hear it every single day. Ready? All right. Thank you, guys. Next one. Um, 
I will have to talk to my partner before I make a decision. We both have to agree before we do anything like this. Mark Eisman? Well, number one, the, the best way to overcome an objection is not to let the objection come up in the first place. One of the things that I do during the course of the presentation is ultimately at, towards the end, I make sure the fact is that I have a clear understanding of what's going to happen. So at first I made sure I found out whether or not there was partners or wives involved in the business. So when I got close to the end, I used to always say to the client, with all due respect, sir, I appreciate you spending this time and talking to me very openly, and I hope the fact is you're not one of those individuals that's going to give me the hedge that you want to talk to your partner in order for us to move forward. You see, I bring it up before he does. Okay. This way, then, ultimately, the fact is, is that I'm kind of taking his hammer away from him. But if he does, even if he does bring up the partner thing, Mr. Business Owner, I'm sure if your partner was anything like mine, he's going to have a lot of questions, and he's going to want answers to those questions. The only person who has that ability to do all that for you is the analyst. Okay? Allow him the opportunity to meet with you guys, understand your vision for the company, and understand the challenges, and let him truly explain to you how there are synergies between our companies and how he can actually help your business. That's what you're looking for at this stage is the information. Okay? So until you allow that to happen, nobody here is going to know. Nobody knows how we're going to benefit each other. So let's meet. Let's absolutely allow us an opportunity to put something together for you. It will take a few days, but the thing is, I think once you guys actually see what we bring to the table, it would definitely benefit you. Okay. Jordan? Mark brought up a good point, and, and as far as the presentation, a lot of a lot of the partner situation can be taken care of right away. I don't think many of us are, are getting the partner involved or finding out there is a partner until the end. I think that all needs to come out during the situational questions when you're asking the client if he's the sole owner of the company, how do he get started, does he have any partners in the business, does he have any family in the business, because I think we can also add in here the wife objection or the spouse Correct. objection. Correct. Um, finding out all the details about your client at the beginning so you know what you may need to combat down the line or take care of it right away and asking if they happen to be there at that given time or contacting them over the phone to discuss what you just did with the client. But let's say it does come up. Simply ask the client, how often do you talk about these issues that we just addressed? Well, typically you get, well, we talk about them. How often do you get together and strategize about these issues in terms of fixing them? Or are you like thousands of our clients that we work with and don't have the time to discuss it, that you're stuck in the daily grind of running this business where you're stuck in here, he's out there, and vice versa? What better of a time than is now to address these issues? Do you and your partner agree that these are issues that we just talked about? Yes. Could you get your partner involved in a conversation about these issues or get him in a meeting if he needed to be there? Would he come in the office if you asked him to? Is he going to say no? If the issues are big enough, if we've problem costed and created a big enough issue out of the issue itself, most oftentimes your client's going to say, yeah, I can get them involved. And the simple way to address the fact of them both being together is saying, Mr. Client, I understand both of you have a business to run here. We need about an hour, hour and a half of your time up front to get started. In a perfect world, and you and I both know that we don't live in a perfect world, we'd like to have both of you there. We'd like to get started with you. 
We can catch up with your partner on an as-available basis throughout the day as long as it's not out of the country, not traveling anywhere drastically far. We, we want to get them involved. I'm not disregarding what you're saying and wanting to speak with your partner, but let's get them involved at the appropriate time when we actually have something tangible for the two of you to discuss, to look at, more importantly, to move forward on. What we're asking you to do is address the issues that are in front of you. Don't put them off any longer. You and your partner both know that this, these issues need to be resolved, that I think you believe that this could be of value to the company, so let's get it moving forward now. Great. Or, can I, I think another you? question you can ask, can too, is after you go through all the issues, ask them, you know, are you and your partner on the same page? Do you guys both agree that these are issues in your business? You John? John? Oh, excuse me, Bob, one second. Another thing, John, we've got to make these people understand. You guys have got to start talking with these people in terms of their names, even though they're not there. This is a personal sale. You shouldn't be just talking to the guy about his partner. You should find out the partner's name. Is it Jack? Is it Bob? Is his wife named Ellie? All these different things. So when you're talking to him, you know, have you and Jack discussed this, just like Jordan is saying? How, how much time do you and Jack actually spend on this? Make Jack like he's actually there, even though Jack might not be there. You have to, you have to create that, that emotional type of situation, but you have to use their names. This is a personal sale. Sometimes the fact is when we as CNEX take schedules and we ask you what's the partner's name, you don't know. Or what's the wife's name? I, I, I didn't get that. You know, are his kids involved? Yeah. What are their names? I don't know. You see, you lose so much value there by not knowing who all the people are and how they're involved and what their roles are. What are the roles of the two partners? Is one more the financial guy and one the operational guy? Which one are you sitting with? Is he the financial guy or is he the operational guy? Okay? Just, just something else, John. So when a, when a client or the partner in front of you says that, I think a perfect uh, entree is, let me ask you something. Do you see benefit in doing this if you were the 100% owner? Client says yes, and then you ask the client, what benefit do you think you would get or what would you like to see have happen? And the reason that's important, he's not going to sell you. Then say to the client, if your partner was sitting here, what questions would he have of you or me? Because that is the true issue. If the client who's sitting in front of you truly wants to do it, but he won't pull the trigger, he believes or he's fearful he doesn't have enough information to persuade his partner to do it. So get those questions on the table. Because if you then answer all the questions he has in his mind of the guy sitting in front of you and you answer them adequately, he may authorize it and belly up and say, yeah, let's do it. Very good. Hey, John, it's Tom. Yes, I think it's important also to ask um, the client, in fact, if the partner is actively involved in the business, if he is actively involved in the business, out of the last 10 decisions, Mr. Client, that you and your partner had to make, important, critical decisions for your business, how many did you agree on? Sometimes you're going to uncover a partnership issue. If there's a partnership issue where the two partners do not get along, then it makes absolutely no sense to talk to the other partner. You have to take the sale in its best light. And you have to get the guy who you're with to be your client. And obviously, you know, by asking your partner, if he, if he says, I don't really get along with my partner, that's part of the problem, then you have to really make that client feel comfortable, the one you're with, that it's going to be okay. And that the only chance of helping him is to actually have a company come in that can be totally unbiased and objective for him with the expertise necessary to get the facts on the table and find an equitable way to work it all out. 
Maybe there's a way to miss the client to make it all work out where you two can resolve your issues. Maybe there's not. Either way, you're going to need help. Okay, excellent. All right, the next one here. I want to check you guys out. I've only been, I've only known you and your company for about 45 minutes. I want to do my research before I commit. And, and how about some references? Hey, could I could I start that? Sure. Uh, Mr. Client, uh, I'm glad you, you brought that up, but because uh, obviously you want to know who you're dealing with. Uh, let me ask you a question. You know, before we even consider you as a client, and you obviously considering to considering doing the survey. Let me ask you a question. And here's what I always go back to: when I when the client's asking me questions to check us out, it shows to it shows me that if I was sitting uh, you know in front of the client, that I haven't done my job in showing credibility. And one of the ways to establish credibility is to ask the hot button questions. Mr. Client, before you even consider us to checking us out, let me ask you a question. And one of the best ways I always like to do is overcome the objection by not dealing with it directly the first time. Okay? If it comes up again, I will deal with it. Let me ask you, and I go back to his pain. I say, let me ask you a question. I said, the issues, how much do you think they're costing you? Or I do a spin selling issues going back to those issues. If I can spin sell on those issues again, I have a chance to overcome that objection because it probably won't come because the client's telling me when he says I have to check you out, it's that I'm trying to sell him on why he needs us. So I'm trying to sell IP at that point and saying, oh, yeah, we're the biggest and the best. We're on this list and this and that. Um, he is looking at this as a show, and I'm on, here on stage trying to pitch him how good IPA is. So instead of leading it to that trap, I always go back to the issues and talk about the hot buttons. Talk about his industry. Talk about the economy, Mr. Clyde. I'll certainly establish more credibility later. But if you talk about the hot buttons, and one of the things that Mark just said is overcoming the objection before it comes up, if the client's asking you that over and over in time where he's saying to you, I need to check you out, that means you're not talking to John Harper in the morning early enough to find out his client's hot buttons or your CNEX before you go in to see a, see a client like that. Because if you prep yourself, you know about the client's business, you know if he's a machine shop, you know if he does short runs or long runs, if you can look at his website, if you can know more about the client's business, that objection should not come up. So somebody else can take it from here. To address the references issue, and, and first of all, that shouldn't come up at the end if you handle it strong enough or address it early enough in the presentation. It's got to be brought up right away. The reason why we have the non-disclosure, the confidentiality agreement with the 44, is so that you can sign off on that and give it to your client to make them feel comfortable. <clears throat> Secondarily, Mike Ali brought up a good point, is that always, you always have to revert back to the pain. And by asking the client, out of everything we just talked about here, what specifically are you hoping to gain from the analysis process if you were to have us come in and make him tell you? If he doesn't say anything or he still says, I'm not really sure, think about it. You really don't have anything. You've done a lot of talking. The client's done a lot of listening. Um, rather than vice versa, you asking questions and get the client talking you in the direction of the sale. Now, when I bring up the uniqueness of every single one of our clients, when I'm on the phone with your clients when they call in here, I tell them that even though we've worked with over 200,000 businesses, and let's say a contractor, 52% of our clients are contractors. That means over 100,000 contractors we've worked with. You know what, Mr. Client? We treat everyone as if it was our first one ever. The reason being, Mr. Client, you run your business differently. You want different things. You have a different philosophy. You have different employees. You have different attitudes. You have different customers. You have a different demographic. 
So when we do this analysis, everything that we do for you is catered towards you. So what we're able to do for another person, quite frankly, Mr. Klein, I don't know if we can do that for you. Tom? I, I don't have anything to add to that right now. Okay. Very good. All right, this next this next one is probably the most important one that I had circled on the list here. Um, I think all five CNEXs are going to have a different take on this, and it, it's very important that everybody listens well. Um, I got on the Internet and found terrible things said about your company, and the Better Business Bureau has too many complaints about your company. Why don't we start with Red Yeah, go ahead, Jordan. All right. Um, it actually goes back to the last objection. <clears throat> Let's say we got the sale and your client still is in that I'm going to do research on you. I don't like hiding anything. I like being 100% honest to the clients. I tell them everything that they're going to find. I review the Better Business Bureau, and over the last three years, we have 464 complaints on the Better Business Bureau. We have one unresolved complaint. You know what, Mr. Client, one unresolved complaint means you're an unfavorable business to be dealing with. You know what? We're pretty proud of that statistic. That's 464 out of close to 60,000. That's less than 1% of our clients. And you know what? 90% of those are telemarketing related. They're not about services rendered. It, it, if you actually read the report, you're going to see on there, it doesn't hold into account how many businesses you actually work with or that we've actually worked with. But the reason why I'm telling you this, Mr. Client, we're pretty proud of our success. And as fast as we've grown, our company, yeah, there's a lot of people that have tried to knock us down, which brings us up to uh, a little something called the ripoff report on there. A lot of you should be using and know this website. It's goodbusinessbureau.com. It talks about the creator of ripoff report, how he's wanted by the FBI for extortion. Review that with the client. Tell them on ripoff report if they type in Microsoft, hmm. if they type in any of the target, any of the known corporations that are out there, the huge corporations that are out there, there's thousands and thousands of complaints. It's called freedom of speech. You can put anything you want out on the Internet. And once again, Mr. Client, why am I telling you this? We have absolutely nothing to hide here. We have absolutely nothing to hide. They're going to respect you more if you tell them the truth rather than finding out later, calling in to cancel, and it's very difficult to handle that on the defensive. If we handle that on the offensive and, and have animation when you're talking to the client about who we are and what we do and show them that you care and show them that you care about not only our company but their company, you're not going to get a lot of that. I've done research on the Internet stuff if you just tell them the truth. Okay. Bob? Yeah, Mr. Owen, may I go next? <clears throat> the way I've, I've started to handle it with some success, and this is when a client calls in to cancel a go because they've been on the Internet. And I find out they were on the Internet. I said, well, what did you say? Well, the BB report. I said, oh, you've got a lot of complaints. I said, you know what? I've worked with my company now for about eight years. And you're right. The first time I found out about it, I went, oh, my God, that is crazy. How am I going to work for this company? And just like Jordan said, I do get animated. I go, oh, my God, because that was my first reaction, too. Now I have the client's attention. I said, but then I had to figure out, what does this all mean? Now, if you understand, Mr. Client, that the BBB is talking about a three-year reporting period, and I've got, in fact, right in front of me a report I printed off on uh, March 25th, which shows there were 439 complaints over 30 months. 
they were all closed, and 145 were closed in the last year. I said, God, that sounds like a lot. And it really should because, you know what, I used to think really small. And you know what, you've been in business for a long time, but you're doing about $5 million. Do you understand, and you may not, so let me share this with you, that over a three-year period, my company has over 6 million telephone contacts by our telemarketers. And that over a three-year period, we have almost 250,000 personal face-to-face meetings or presentations. And over that same period, then there is at least 78,000 surveys. And then there's over 27,000 consulting projects. Now, just think of those numbers, Mr. Client. When you think of it in that context, the, oh, my God, these are a lot of complaints, it really becomes, oh, my God, that's nothing. But more importantly, we took care of and addressed every single one of them. And that's why we set up our consulting or whatever we do to put you in control. You control every step of the way. If you ask us for consulting, you control it on a day-by-day basis. If you ask us to, uh, if you agree to allow us to do a survey, you control it. You terminate it at any time. You only pay through the value and benefit. We put you, the client, in the driver's seat. And if you look very closely at the complaints we've had, what are they? Two areas. Making the sale, collecting your money that's due. Aren't those your two biggest challenges? And the client says, oh, they don't state what they're now thinking, which is we are a much bigger company. Now, depending upon the client, though, regarding lawsuits or anything else, I will say to the client, in a way, it's a badge of honor because there are some lawsuits pending out there, but why are they pending? Because at this point, we're a deep pocket. We're like AT&T. We're like Northwest Airlines. We're like all the bigger companies. It is now a badge of courage because we get sued because we are such a big business. And it's a cost of doing business. Do we like it? No. But do you recognize that every big company has to deal with it? Absolutely. That puts it in quite a different perspective in the client's mind because, remember, they're reacting from their conclusions, their context, and the conclusion they jump to based upon their limited information. So we have to redefine the context. And if we do it like, you know, I, I, that was my same conclusion too. There's familiarity, and then they will listen to you, and then they're neutral. Good. Mark, how about you? Well, I, I think both of those are absolutely beautiful, but the, the real reality that I see that the reason some of these things are happening is, is because when you guys are leaving, you're leaving with some doubt in the client's mind. And sometimes the fact is you need to clear up any doubt. Before you leave the client and you've done your, uh, what we call the sale after the sale, you need to ask the client, are they comfortable with their decision to have the analysis done? Simple question. But what am I really doing? I'm impacting the client to take accountability for his decision. I don't want the client to feel like I sold them something. I want the client to feel like he just made a decision that's going to help him and his company, okay? A lot of reps here have problems. There are some top reps here that you never hear any problems with an Internet issue after they've left the client. Reason being, the fact is, is because their clients are comfortable with their decision because they've empowered their, their client to actually take ownership of the decision that they've made. Exactly. You really have to do that. 
it's very, very important that you leave there under the understanding that the client is comfortable with their decision. You'll find that that issue won't come up as much. Exactly. I want to underscore this, and it's very important, and it's true of the SAMs, and it's true of the reps on the phone, and it's true of, of the analysts. You go into, let's say, three clients in a row. If the same hedge or objection is being articulated by your client, that leads me to believe that either you're saying something you shouldn't or you are not saying something you should, so they're conditioned away from it. So you've got to review after every set what happened. If you start to note a pattern, either try to figure it out yourself or get on the phone with your CNX or somebody else at headquarters, because there's something going on, and we have to address that pattern. And that's how you're going to make yourself better. Hey, Bob, it, it's yeah. Mike. One of the uh, things I've found when I take a lot of these cancels or where they say I've checked you out on the Internet and everything, and I always question them, you know, why would the client do a research on our company? I figured out that bulk of the reason what's in their head is that they're thinking, looking into their financials, because they know we're going to come and analyze the business very intimately, looking at everything from head to toe. They go, geez, I'm going to strip down for them. I am afraid of this. So one of the things they get afraid is that, geez, he's going to look into my books. I better make sure that the person that's coming in is top-notch, that really has a lot of credibility. So that's the reason they jump on the Internet, I think, in most of the time, or the fact that they weren't really sold on the whole idea. So they're trying to figure out a way to, you know, come up with a cancel or to come up with a reason not to do it. But one of the other things that I know uh, that uh, that Bob you just mentioned is that, or Bart just mentioned, they buy you. They don't necessarily buy IPA, because when the client says I need to check check it out or do the internet and they go on that, they're they're looking into IPA and rather why don't we try to sell ourselves? If they buy you, they shouldn't cancel, because if you build a good rapport and, and they like and trust you. They will obviously, you know, kind of feel pretty bad about calling in and trying to cancel uh, something that they really wanted. So, and, and it comes about the financial issues and looking at their books or anything. You have to address that, Mr. Clint. Is there anything that that you need to be answered about looking into your financials? Is there any questions on anything that I've, uh, we've talked about after you've done it? Anything on the agreement that you've authorized? Is everything clear to you? Half the time, sometimes they might say, "Well, I'm not sure about the financials. Somebody looking into my business." Then you have to address that. Because if you don't address it, they're going to check on the Internet. They're going to figure out, geez, who is this company coming in? And that sparks the, uh, the you know, checking us out. And that's when. And that, so. that's true if you have, let's say, a 100% client and you haven't sold them, they haven't bought in, now the, now the person leaves their office and that person gets on the Internet. However, however, that's very little. I mean, that, that, the percentage of time that happens, I think, is few and far between. I think more importantly what then happens is they talk to a spouse or the office manager finds out, or or one of the partners find out, <clears throat> and the person that we talked to couldn't sell them, couldn't convince them, and so now somebody else is doing it either as they're in their mind their own due diligence, or or somebody wants to hide something, and that's why it's very that's why the sale after the sale is so important to cement it, so that you empower the person you talk to to be able to deal with the people you have when you've left. And that's one of the areas that I don't think we work as hard as we could to further condition. So actually, if you get a person who's a partner that agrees to do this, you have to then empower him or condition him or at least give him enough information to be able to be your sponsor before the analyst gets there. And that's the sale after the sale. 
Yeah, people, and you, you can't make this sound like this is some hokey pipe dream. I mean, some of you sometimes put the client in, well, gosh, this sounds too good to be true type of scenario, okay, because you're selling on the fact is, guess what, if you don't like what we have, you don't have to pay for it, okay, and a lot of you leave, that's the last thing that you leave in the client's mind, and that's the wrong thing to leave with the client, Okay, because the reality is you have got to do a better job of actually selling the value of what the service is going to be. You've got to tell that client, Mr. Business Owner, you're going to be wowed. I mean, I'm telling you, this guy that's coming in, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, uh, deifying the person that's coming in. I mean, this, this guy is really going to do everything. Take a look at what you are. We're going to have one of the top people. He's going to have some industry knowledge. He's going to basically address the issues that you're looking at. You've really got to sell the client and everything. The second thing that a lot of you are not doing, and it's a requirement of our job, is to leave the Q&A brochure. Absolutely. And most of you don't. That's one of the things when we take a sketch. Mr. Business Owner, I know you have a lot of questions. Did the rep leave the Q&A brochure that explains the whole process and all the information and all the things that you seem concerned about? No, he didn't leave me anything. Oh, he left me with a stupid piece of paper that you guys forced me to sign. You see, people, you're actually setting up yourself to fail because you're not doing the things that are important. Number one, you should have a sign 44. Number two, you should have a preview form of some of the top issues that the client wants to have addressed during the course of the meeting. Those need to be faxed into the office, and you need to leave a copy with him. Second, the fact is you need to leave the Q&A brochure. It explains the whole entire process in great detail. There are no real questions there. The other thing you might want to leave is maybe the focus brochure something that basically explains a little bit more in detail. He can take a look at the five building blocks and everything else. You know, a lot of people leave a little bit more homework. But those things are important to leave with the client. So the client has what? He has a security blanket. He feels comfortable. He has something tangible to hold that validates his decision that this was the right decision to make. So now when he goes home, if his wife questions him, well, what are these people going to do? He's not just sitting there going, well, the guy told me he's going to do this, he's going to do that. The guy can say, well, here, here's, here's one of the brochures that they're basically going to do, or whatever. There has to be something tangible sometimes. Remember, we've got to create this aura in the client's mind, and you've got to use the tools that are available. And but the leave the, the Q&A. It's a requirement. Please. And that's a good tool, and I believe in the upsell, meaning if you're in front of the client or you're talking about scheduling and bringing in the best qualified person and you're trying to get it to the desk, you're now going to set up the scenic for the drop close because you're going to tell them when you start to condition about our company and how we've grown. How have we grown, Mr. Client? Because we deal with small to medium-sized businesses, and you explain our client, and then you say we have a roster of 220 analysts throughout North America. And if I agree to bring you to the desk and schedule, I've got to make sure I reschedule the most qualified person, the most qualified person. They're going to be here for a couple of days. Those are some great points, guys. Thank you very much. And I can tell you guys, we, we got over 100 sales today, and I think with all the signed 44s we received today, I received five analysis preview forms, five, maybe six. We have to use that as a tool. That solidifies the deal. That's the client telling us exactly what they want to get out of doing this analysis. 
So that makes great sense is what Mark and, and Bob and everybody else was talking about. All right, we got time for a couple questions. Um, operator, if you can open up the lines for a couple questions, and um, we'll be as quick as we can with this. Once again, if you would like to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of William Quebec. Hi, Bill. Hi, William Quebec. What happened to the eye? William's question has been withdrawn. Your next question is from Tom Ryan. Hey, guys. Uh, Hi, Tom. I, I, I just wanted to make a comment about the references. You know, one of the best reference, uh, one of the best, best ways to answer the reference is to use the client testimonial DVDs. We've got over 40 of them out there. They're all clients. And one of the questions that I ask every single client is, what would you say to a business owner who's considering using IPAs, analytical and consulting services to improve his business? They all tell you exactly what the client is or the prospective client is looking for. He wants some validation that he's going to get value for his money. And that's what that's designed to do. And they also are very honest in terms of the way they answer. Um, many times they'll say that they were reluctant, they were skeptical, they weren't sure whether they're going to get value uh, for the, the money that, w that they were going to pay. But in the end, they all say it was the best decision that they ever made. So that's why we've done these video testimonials, and the more people use them, the more likely they'll overcome the reference objection. Was it also their scariest decision? No, I don't think people didn't talk about their scariest, but, but they talked about being reluctant. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's some people who, you know, thought it was scary, but, you know, the ones that we have on the video were more, you know, uh, just concerned about what they were going to get because, again, we're dealing with an intangible service. And they then talk about how they got something of value that was priceless, and that's what people want to hear. Thanks, Tom. I don't think that was a question. I think that was a statement by Tom Ryan. Absolutely. Testimonial. Thank you, Tom. Actually, the question is, why are people using them? That is a good question. <laughs> another, another one of the memos tomorrow. Absolutely. All right, thanks, Tom. Can we have the next question, operator? Your next question is from the line of Dale Witherington. Hey, Dale. Hey, John. Gentlemen, um, just wondering how you folks handle the, oh, they just said you're coming in to drop off a brochure type of a deal. I probably get that in 80% of the ones I walk in. Good question. Hey, 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 Dale, this is Mike. Can I answer that? Please, yeah. Okay. Well, one of the things, and by the way, I don't know if Scott March is on it. I, I did this, uh, I did a call uh, about a month ago, and Scott has uh, been getting a lot of sales, and he says one of the things that uh, that precipitated from that was the, the when he walks in the door, I said, from now on, when you walk in the door, the first thing you've got to say to the client, Mr. Client, uh, did we call you or did you call us? That's what the I say. That question, you're in control, first of all, okay? And it gives the client a hint that the clients actually call us for needing our services. So you establish a credibility just by asking him that question. Now, when it comes to you dropping off information, you know, you can always uh, spin that very easily. Absolutely, I'll leave you whatever information you need. But the problem is I don't want to leave you, a, you know, a box full of information you don't have time to go through. So I'll be very specific and pointed on the key areas that you need information on. And I go into, you know, my fact finding or asking questions about his business. Go ahead. Mike, another, another thing, basically the same thing along the lines what you're talking about is, and, and I tell people, I used to use it myself, when I walk in, hello, I'm Mark Eisen with IPA. Man, is your industry keeping me busy? What is going on in your industry right now? 
That's one way to take control from the client, okay? It just yes. automatically kind of puts them a little bit off. Just immediately go into it. Hello, I'm Mark Eisen with IPA. Man, what is happening to your industry? It is keeping me so busy now. Doesn't matter what it is, people. Jordan? I think uh, Kevin Delp stated something over the weekend that stuck out, and Kevin's not a leader on here, so I'll simply state what he said. If a client's stuck on the uh, dropping off a brochure information, you can simply tell the client, I have thousands of brochures that explain various services of our company back in the car. Give me a second to explain who we are and what we do, a little bit about your company to figure out what to leave you, and just go right into it with the client. Now, that doesn't mean that it's right that that's the way the, the lead is being set up, but obviously, you know, we have certain situations that we have to overcome out there. Dale, does that help? That helps. Thank you, guys. Okay, thanks. Operator, next question. Your next question is from the line of Ron Newencraft. Hello, Ron. Oh, good afternoon. I'm sorry. I didn't. I Mistake. <laughs> you should Congratulations on your sale today, Ron. Ron got his first sale today, right? That's the second. Second. Okay, good job today, Ron. Nine, nine and a half million dollars for a second sale. Not a bad job. All right, next question. Your next question is from the line of Lydia Martin. Uh, yes, about the Q&A. Um, sometimes, even though, you know, the client is pretty, you know, um, you're looking towards, you know, or forward to the go in some ways, our fees are quoted in there, and sometimes it scares them. The That's why fees. I realize that maybe I should not leave it. Anybody wants to answer that? Well, the point of the matter is, is Lydia, it's, it's a question of what did you really represent to the client? Most, most SAMs don't represent that there's actually a second step beyond the course of the analysis, okay? And that's really where the problem starts to fall in. Because a lot of people sit back once you've left and they start thinking to themselves, there's no way they're going to be able to do all that for $950. Because, see, they're under the understanding that the fix, the analyst is actually going to do the fix, not the analysis. The fees, based on the fact of if you explain the Q&A brochure before you leave, okay, then they understand. But you have to preface it, Mr. Business Owner. About 47% of our clients choose to actually take the next step. Sometimes they're much larger companies. Sometimes there are some circumstances or whatever. But a lot of our smaller clients choose not to. They take all the information, they use it themselves, and then as business changes a little bit, they call us back to actually help them with some more things. But you can't be afraid of it. If you're afraid of it, what's going to happen when the analyst goes in there and he's now got to tell the client the truth? If you set the table cleanly, like Jordan says, if we tell the client the truth of what's going to happen, then it, everything is fine. There are no hidden secrets or whatever. And actually, but sometimes I, we don't do a good job of setting it up ourselves. May I say something? I absolutely agree with you, and that's what is set up generally, but I never quote a fee per hour, and that's okay, so in the Lydia, Q&A brochure. Lydia, this is Redkill. Let me jump in for a second here. Okay. I, if I was you, I would want to point out the fee in the Q&A and then minimize it. And what I mean by that is I would flip to that page in that paragraph and say, we're very expensive, but I want to make it crystal clear, crystal clear. What separates us from all the other consulting companies, and this is why we are where we are, 
is we have bifurcated. We have separated the analytical step from the consulting step. But this is how we have grown our business to a quarter of a billion dollars. And let me explain to you why. And this ties into what Jordan said. And he was absolutely right on point. The analysis is a standalone process for us to put value and benefit on the table. At the end, you'll make a decision whether you ask the analyst for help or not. Then the analyst has to decide whether on the risk assessment, which is a three-to-one, whether it makes sense and whether you're committed. But we don't know that now. The analyst doesn't even know that until the end, and you don't know that. So you know what? If you do decide to engage us, it is expensive, but we're not going to agree to do that unless we can give you that assurance of a three-to-one return. However, we charge nominal fees on the front end to begin our business relationship with you, and hopefully it's going to go over a number of years, whether you engage us now or at some point later on down the line. Now, by doing that, you're being honest, you're being right on point, and now you're conditioning the client for the analyst, and it's not going to blow up when the analyst shows up or when the client reads the Q&A after you leave. Does that make sense, Lydia? Absolutely. Okay. Not only that, the, the, consulting, the, the consulting agreement certainly has got to be a win-win, and as I mentioned earlier, and as Bob just reiterated the fact that we are very selective with the clients that we do work with beyond the analysis, it certainly has to be a win-win. And by stating to the client that it is an expensive process, consulting is expensive, but if the assurance is certainly reviewed um, with the client, the three-to-one, and you throw out some numbers with them for every dollar you spend, we have to assure three in return over a 12- to 18-month period of time. Um, certainly, that would be a win for you, Mr. Client, but we'd never put you in a position of hurting you. We certainly don't want to. We know you have enough issues right now, and it has to be a win-win to move to the next step. And, Lydia, by, by bringing that out on your own, you're putting it on the table. And by you explaining how the process is different, you are actually upselling who we are, what we do. Now the client is salivating, and now you've set it up to bring it to the desk for somebody to drop close it because now the client believes in his mind that the analyst is going to be worth $250, $300 an hour, but the fee is only going to be 1200 over two days. Oh, my God, I want to do this now. Not only that, explaining to your client that what we're sending out next, meaning us as Sam's, we're sending out an analyst. These are business analysts. They are not salespeople. Quite frankly, Mr. Klein, if we do our job the right way, it's going to sell itself. That'll put him comfortable knowing that he's not going to get sold consulting. It, can I say something, Mrs. Tom? It also helps to be able to set the pay properly, but you also need to do a little bit of a takeaway. You should always explain to your client when they're curious about what the next step is. The choices you have at the end of the analysis are four choices. Number one, you can ignore the analyst recommendations because you don't agree with them. That's always a choice. However, if you agree with them, then the choice two would be you could take the ideas of the analyst, the recommendations, and implement them on your own. Now, some clients actually don't get the time enough to be able to realize that it's going to take a lot longer for them to do it alone than it is for them to have some help. So the third choice would be where IPA can come in and actually do the work for you. The fourth choice is the most popular choice, which is a combination program where we do some of the work and the client does some of the work, and that works out to be much more cost-effective for our client. When you set the plate that way, you now take the choice of that dollar amount that you see in the brochure, Lydia, and it becomes obvious that the client has actually three other choices besides that. So you want, you want to just leave a menu there. 
I, yes, I all, all, all I was trying to say, though, is that as, you know, depending on how long, whatever, one day, two days until the analysis, you know, the cognitive dissonance process and everything else, that's sometimes a way for them to step away, and that's why I stopped dropping it. But I understand now that I should address it directly. Hey, hey Lydia? Yes. Lydia, this is Mike Alley. I take a lot of cancels, and Keith will attest to this. He also does, too. And uh, anytime when you sell a survey and you leave a Q&A brochure, uh, in my history, I have not had one client call me saying, you know what, you guys, I'm canceling because you're charging 275 an hour. It's just expensive, and therefore I don't want to do the analysis. I've never had that happen. So uh, maybe because of two reasons. Maybe we're not leaving enough brochures, or it never even comes up. And uh, so, you know, it, it won't come up if you don't think about it. It's it's what we right. call okay. the, the ether. You know, if you focus on what you want, which is helping the client, uh, the 275 shouldn't be an issue. Okay. Right. If you focus on the benefit, they never call in to me. I've never had any client saying I'm canceling because it costs 275 an hour. So but, it won't hurt, believe me. Mike, you never take cancels or attempted cancels, which you save. Pardon? I said you don't take cancels. They are attempted cancels, which you save. All right, thank Thank you, guys, and thank you, Lydia. And operator, we'll take one more question. Your next question is from the line of Byron Robinson. Yes, hello. Uh, I I had a a a very large contractor that I that we we did was a hybrid call, and. the guy I got there, and you know, often they they didn't have me on the calendar. He said, oh, "I thought you were just coming by to uh, leave information." Same thing, but I did feel a little intimidated. They're a three hundred million dollar contractor. What do we what do we have to offer to somebody that large? Uh, is my question, and, and how, what should I say to somebody like that to get their attention? Byron, how long have you been with the company? Uh, a month. Okay. The difference between a $300 million company and a million-dollar company is $299 million. That's the only difference. They have the okay. same issues as the million-dollar company, just more dollars flowing through the business. So don't be, don't be afraid of the big company is what I'm saying to you. We, close many, we work with many, many big companies out there. Now, understanding that contractors, given the way the overall economics are, contractors are getting hit the worst. So what are they doing to keep their competitive edge? And obviously a successful company out there. And, you know, you can go in there and get animated. Said I was so excited to meet you, with you because I know our company works so much with contractors. I wanted to know a little bit about your company and just find out how we might be able to fit in with what you're trying to do with your goals and objectives and tell you a little bit about our company and our success and talk to you a little bit about your successes in business and find out to see if we have a match. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I admit I felt a little intimidated because. You know. Don't, don't. They're, they, it's they have the same issues out there. They do, however, have more money to appoint different people to handle things that the smaller companies don't, but they still all have the same issues. Okay. okay. Just larger dollar amounts on what it's costing the client. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ten foot tall and bazooka proof. <laughs> okay. Seriously, that that's that's the key. Be someone that they want to talk to. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mr. Robinson. And good hey, luck out there, John. Before you close, yes, Mr. Eisman, uh, based upon the call tonight, what should happen tomorrow? 
We absolutely should have no objections. It should be just <laughs> schedules, okay? Because we've, we've covered all the objections, right? So well, there are no objections. So no rep can call us up tomorrow and say, well, I didn't get that sale because he gave me this objection. Listen, everybody, I guess, John, you're ending. Have some fun tomorrow. We need lots of sales. We've got to get some energy. We've got to get to the point where you guys aren't afraid of the no, okay? You've got to welcome it. You've got to get to the point that you're confident enough to do that. And all that means is the client wants more information. Give it to them. Absolutely. All right, everybody, thank you very much for being on the call. I guarantee you as soon as we get the CDs from this call, we will get them out to you immediately. Um, I look forward to everybody having a great rest of the week. Um, from the bonus that we had at the beginning of the week when everybody had to call in their commitments to me, we've already had five people reach their goals. So that's outstanding, and there's a lot of people who are on target to hit their goal by Friday. So I'm looking forward to giving out a lot of money to everybody on Friday. So good luck, and please... Remember what it is that we do out there. We help small business owners. Well, thank you for listening to that webinar series uh, regarding consulting. Uh, uh, one was objections. So, okay. so, again, it's a lot of information uh, that is in particular. Use it uh, for negotiations with businesses. And the business people you you uh, you deal with, these were top leaders in the management consulting uh, that we we ours, and uh, they gave us permission to go ahead and upload. Anyway, thank you for listening to the Club, uh, Core Business Show today. I'm Tim Jack, your host, and for to uh, uh, to tomorrow. And tomorrow we're going to have something about the part of this. Is going to talk about the consulting industry itself. How does the fundamental particular industry and actually how you actually do better business with those people in that particular field? Thank you for listening to MGK, your host. You listen to the business show. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. For more information about equipment financing and asset-based loans, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. Or call us at 866-611-7457. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to the core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. And thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet.